Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Resolute Square. There was also maintained what was called an enemy's list, which is rather extensive and continually being updated. I could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody, and I wouldn't lose any voters, okay? The women with the least likelihood of getting pregnant are the ones most worried about having abortions. On January 6th of 2021, you had tens of thousands of people peacefully protesting. No, it's not a right-wing conspiracy theory. It's not QAnon. It's real. (laughs) I'm Rick Wilson, and this is The Enemies List. Our guest today on the enemies list is a guy you've seen many, many times. He is someone who has a deep understanding of Washington and its comings and goings. Jonathan Carl, he's the chief White House correspondent for ABC News. He has been around for four presidencies now, which gives him a, a profound set of insights into exactly how Washington works. And especially in the last uh, six or seven years, he's been an expert on how the Trump White House worked. Jonathan Carl's new book is Tired of Winning, Donald Trump and the End of the Grand Old Party. You know, I, I, I do think that the, the Republican Party as we once knew it is certainly at an end, but Donald Trump still keeps coming back into our political faces like a, like a recurring nightmare. Give us an example or give us a, 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 the story of how you came to write this book, what your take on the last days of the Trump White House in the, in the first administration were. And I want to hear some of the stories that that, that you've reported in here. And I'll, I've got a list of a couple of them, but give us your take on how that last year wound down for Trump. Well, the, the last year really begins in in some ways. One of the pitiful, pivotal moments is early 2020 when Johnny McEntee comes back into the White House. He had been, you know, the body guy carried carried the president's bags around and been fired by John Kelly, but he came back just after his 30th birthday. Uh, and Trump made him the head of uh, presidential personnel, meaning that he was in charge right. of basically the most important HR department um, in the uh, in the United States government, and set about doing essentially a purge of the Trump administration, trying to go through and root out anybody that was not totally and thoroughly loyal uh, to Donald Trump. And I think that really set the stage for what happened after the election: Trump losing kind of losing his mind after that, uh, all the insanity that led to January 6th. And 
so I, in, in taking on this this book, I, I wanted to do two things. One, I had learned a lot more since I wrote Betrayal, which focused intensely on that entire year, you know, especially those last uh, two months, but that 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 entire year. Um, I'd learned more information. Uh, the National Archives had released documents because of a of a lawsuit that went all the way to the Supreme Court uh, with the January 6th committee. The January 6th committee itself had, you know, it, it, it did a thousand interviews. And really, I got to tell you, Rick, they, they only used a small fraction in their in their hearings and in their final report. Sure. And as I went through these sworn depositions, I found just more and more information about those last weeks that did, that had not come out. And so, so I, I thought I would be doing a story about kind of the sad, lonely demise of a disgraced former president with some new information focusing on his last, uh, you know, last couple of months. I had no idea uh, that I would end up doing a story about a guy who had made this unbelievable comeback within the Republican Party and had put back in this exalted position. And that's what it, so it, this, the book became very different as I went about my reporting. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think a lot of us looked at, you know, when Trump went down to Mar-a-Lago, you know, after he finally walked out of the white house, there was a belief that because of January 6th and because of all the sort of overhang of the chaos that, especially among the, like the elite Republican donor class, okay, we're going to get something different now, but it didn't take long. I mean, Kevin McCarthy was down there within a week Yep. Yep. Eight days. Eight days. Yep. It struck me, or at least it seemed to me, there was a period where he was a little bit of like the general in his labyrinth for for a couple of months. But then it seems like the the flow of of you know ring kissers and and courtiers and wannabes have all all came back down to South Florida again to say, you know, Mister President, you know, you were deprived of your rightful victory. I I spent a lot of time uh, trying to dissect the first month or so after he gets to Mar-a-Lago. He's in exile. Uh, he's deeply, he seems to be anyway, deeply depressed. At least that's what some of his friends uh, told me. You know, a, a couple things were described to me, like he going out and he's playing a lot of golf, but sometimes he doesn't even finish the 18. He just throws his heads up and, and storms off, gets up in the middle of a dinner and walks out. He's in this cloistered world. He's off Twitter. Fox News won't put him on the air anymore. McCarthy comes to visit him, but that was such a massive deal because nobody else wanted to talk to him. I mean, that's why that was such a big deal. So even even in the immediate aftermath of the McCarthy thing, I mean, there aren't there aren't a lot of people making making the treks down there. And you know, you, you've heard the stories of him DJing, uh, you know, uh, on the uh, on the patio and stuff, sure. weddings, uh, showing and up stuff. at weddings, mm-hmm. and you know, coming out to say a few words, and, and the bride and groom are waiting to do their, you know, the, the, their first dance, and Trump is going on for forty five minutes talking about the the, the recount in, in in Arizona. Um, I mean, it really, I mean, this did not look like a dude that was that was on his way back at all. You know, he'd lost sort of the like Jared and Ivanka had basically run away from him. Um, they were trying to to hide out in Miami and not be around the 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 people that have disqualified them from going to the Met Gala ever again. But it did seem late that year, in l- late in twenty one, that it started to be apparent that Trump's endorsement in Republican primaries, his his name in fundraising emails, had gone back up yeah you, you saw you remember there was a competitive uh ohio senate race that ultimately jd vance won the republican primary but there were like eight candidates and 
you know, they, they all come down for like the apprentice style, you know, meet who's going to get the endorsement. And he loved it. But but that was that was the beginning. But I got to tell you what I also found. And, and this was it's documented, you know, throughout the book is he just became enthralled with craziness. Um, so that there, there's that whole QAnon thing about how he was going to get reinstated on August 13th. Uh, you remember it because like maybe Mike Lindell was out there or, or, but, but this was not something that anybody took seriously, but it turns out Donald Trump did. Look, I've never considered Donald Trump to be a, um, a, you know, a deeply sophisticated intellectual thinker, but it does speak. And I think you're reporting in the book. It does speak to this like almost sense of desperation in his mind to be validated and to find a shortcut back to the white house. Yeah, yeah, the the idea that we're we're, we're going to eject Biden, uh, that, that that this is all going to become, you know, that the Kraken's finally going to open up, the cyber ninjas are going to discover the uh, the Chinese bamboo and all those ballots, and that's suddenly going to make everybody <laughs> look at Wisconsin again and Michigan, and voila, Biden's gone, Trump's back. So I want to jump back a little bit to the story, and you you touched on it very briefly, the Johnny uh, McAtee, who, as as you noted, was Trump's head of personnel. And as the administration was winding down, you cover a moment in here that is just some white hot crazy. Tell us a little bit about how the presidential personnel guy, a uh, thirty something guy, was trying to remove American forces from Afghanistan and Europe on his own steam. One one of the frustrations in the kind of far I hate to say far right because it's not really ideological, but the the the, the truly Trumpy uh, enthusiast was that Trump was constantly being blocked from doing what he wanted to do by by the national security apparatus, the deep state, <laughs> you know, Milley and then Esper, uh, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, Gina Haspel, the CIA director. This is the really I mean, the deep state is everywhere. But it's really this is the hardcore deep state, and you know they they they, they were the one that's the ones that stopped him, for instance, from bringing troops home from Afghanistan, which is something Trump you know constantly talked about, and he never did. Right. So, as Johnny McEntee immediately in the week after uh, the the election in November of of, of twenty twenty orchestrates the removal of Esper. Esper's fired. Three other very senior uh, uh, officials at the Pentagon are fired. All conservative Republicans who were deemed uh, insufficiently Trumpy and with great suspicions that they were deep state. Uh, so, so those guys all get fired. And they install a new, you know, you know, a, a new team over there. And what could go wrong with Doug McGregor and Cash Patel? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so Doug McGregor, you know, Colonel Kurtz, Doug McGregor, uh, Colonel McGregor is uh, on Fox constantly, which is where he gets John gets his Johnny McEntee's attention and Trump's. And mm-hmm. so they institute Chris Miller as the acting uh, defense secretary, but Chris Miller is a little too sane, right? So they give him Colonel without without even consulting uh, Miller on this. They give him this Colonel uh, McGregor as the uh, as his you know, military advisor, whatever that means. And because, you know, 
technically, you might think that might be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. I mean, I don't know. I mean, you might. Yeah. Having worked for Dick Cheney, I can tell you it would traditionally be the chairman of the Joint Chiefs. (laughs) McGregor goes over there and says, look, if we're really going to do this, we need an executive order, Johnny. We need an order signed by the president. I can't do it on my own. We need an order. Uh, And so, well, how do we do this? Well, it's like, so he he begins the process of drafting an executive order out of the presidential personnel (laughs) office, McEntee. Uh, 30-year-old McEntee and his 20-somethings who work with him. We're like, what do we do? And, and, and I described the whole scene. A lot of it is based on sworn testimony right. that was never seen uh, or, 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 or talked about in the January 6th uh, committee. Sworn testimony from all the key players, Mc, including McGregor. McGregor tells him to go to the file cabinet, pull out any old executive order, doesn't, want it, doesn't matter what it is, so you can copy the format. <laughs> and, then, and then he so right. he so he does this and 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 it, it has four points. It's withdraw all troops from Afghanistan by January fifteenth, which is basically tomorrow. Uh, withdraw U.S. forces from from Germany. Withdraw U.S. forces from the Middle East and withdraw U.S. forces uh, from Somalia. Not a big deal. <laughs> and then uh, so they, they they print this thing out. Uh, they apparently get Trump to sign it. And send it over to Kash Patel, who is installed as the chief of staff to the new acting defense secretary. Mm-hmm. And so Miller sees it. He's like, what the heck is this? And so he calls in the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. We got an executive order here. What do we do, chief? Um, and Milley, of course, flips out because he's never seen it, never been consulted on it. They all run to the, um, uh, to the White House to try to find out what the origins of this is and if it's real even. So they go to Robert O'Brien, the national security advisor. He's never seen it. Right. Well, they go to Pat Cipollone, the White House counsel. Certainly it had to go through a White House counsel to be you know, lawyered. He hasn't seen it. They go to Derek Lyons, who's the staff secretary. Every executive order has to get you know, uh, put through uh, uh, you know, by the staff secretary. He doesn't do it. So suddenly Millie starts saying, is this thing forged? Because even uh, uh, General Kellogg, who was uh, you know, Pence's mm-hmm. advisor at the end, but really a Trump guy. Uh, he says, I don't know yeah. if this is a real signature. Maybe this was the auto pen. Is this really even real? So two of them go down the hall to see Trump, who sheepishly acknowledges that he signed it. And they're like, you know, sir, we, we, we don't think this would be a good idea. You know, it really has to go through the lawyers uh, before you can – I mean they like baby him through it. And he's like, OK. And there went away the great idea of like having the greatest – movement of u.s troops the greatest withdrawals in the shortest period of time you know since since i don't know the end of world war ii you know having been around that world in my younger days the idea when i when i was reading it the idea mortif it made my skin crawl like that, that it had not gone through the NSC or the staff anywhere. But I wonder if there were other things out there that we'd never even heard about in other agencies where it was just like some 30 year old a hole decide, oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this and the president should do this in whatever agencies because they really had a weird, obsessive nature about just doing what they wanted and not the rules didn't matter. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and look, this is why I think this is the most important book I have written and why I, I, I hope that people can understand not just what happened in the first Trump term, but what a second Trump term would look like. Because Johnny McEntee comes in in 2020 with his group. Most, many of them are in their 20s. 
a couple of his guys hadn't graduated from college. A few of them were uh, very attractive uh, young women who were Instagram influencers who he reached out to on Instagram. No, naturally, um, as one does. And so, as so one th- does. these were the people that were going out like the Red Guard, uh, you know, in, in, in Maoist China to try to root out disloyalists. But they were very busy. I mean, you have to do all that stuff. They didn't get a lot of it done. Until, you know, they really, I mean, this was one of their, you know, one of their big projects was the decapitation of the political leadership in, in the Pentagon and, and doing this stuff. My point in this book is that's where it starts on day one in, 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 a, in a second Trump administration, because they're not, they're going to make sure that the Millies and the Kellys and the Cipollonis uh, and frankly, the Ivankas and the Jareds aren't there from the start. You know, uh, anybody mm-hmm. who's like, well, mm-hmm. maybe we got to, you know, massage this a little bit. No, it's the, what do you want? <laughs> Let's go. One of the things that you talk a lot about with that office and the later insights about the people, they're like, you can teach policy, you can't teach loyalty. And that's going to be the only, only merit that they're going to look at is, are you a hyper Trumper? Tell us a little bit about some of the craziness about how far down the chain they would go to enforce loyalty with the staff. Before, because I think that's a preview of what's to come. One of my favorite examples is um, uh, a phone call that took place between Mark Meadows and the chief of staff at the Department of Housing and Urban Development, Ben Carson being the secretary. The, the phone conversation happened in the middle of the um, uh, Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearings just before the election. So a very busy time. Uh, yeah. And Meadows is calling to the chief of staff, uh, uh, for uh, Car- Carson's chief of staff, because it has been discovered by Johnny's people that a woman, a young woman who worked for Ben Carson had liked an Instagram post. Are you following me? Uh, this young woman had liked an Instagram <laughs> post uh, of Taylor Swift's and Taylor Swift in this photo that was liked is holding a tray of cookies. But the cookies have the logo of the Biden-Harris campaign on it, okay? So so Meadows, (laughs) in a very solemn voice, says, we can't have our people liking the social media posts of of, of Biden supporters like Taylor Swift, Uh, you know, so we need to get on this. I mean, of course, this is a young woman who, by the way, some further research you would have discovered is a Taylor Swift fan. And there are, you know, apparently there are a lot of them out there. Oh, no. <laughs> I have heard that Taylor Swift has a small but meaningful following in the country. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I mean, they're scrubbing like to see. I mean, and this wasn't even a post. It was that she liked something. I mean, you know. Anyway, th- th- this is and, – and, and Axios had a, had a report uh, just recently about how this Project 2025, which Johnny McEntee is, is consulting for um, – they are using AI to go through uh, everything about potential personnel in a, in a second Trump term to seek out exactly that kind of stuff because it's pretty labor intensive. If you have to go through and see every like, but you know this, you get AI. We can do this in five seconds. I think it is really telling that that loyalty alone um, theme is emerging not only from your reporting, but from the sort of rhetoric that Trump is deploying right now on the, on the campaign trail where it's not just, we're going to have people who are loyal to us, but we're going to punish everyone who isn't. We're going to persecute or prosecute anybody who opposes Donald Trump. And I'm curious, you know, you saw that, as you said, you know, he he sort of had this like down moment in the beginning of 21 
And I mean, look, as a political hack, I can tell you the race is going to be, it's Trump's to lose still for the primary. Where do you think his head is right now um, on, on returning to the White House? I think, I think, I mean, on my theory of the case is he's running not just to stay out of jail, but because he doesn't have anything else to do. And, and he thinks this is the best gig he's ever had. Yeah, I, 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 I'll tell you what it's not. It's not, you know, to pursue some policy agenda. Um, oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as long as we can just agree on that. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I think that, I think that it's, it's, it's really tied up into 2020. I mean, it's, 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 he needs to prove that he didn't lose by, by, by winning. And I don't know that he has much interest in the job or the gig itself, but, but he, you know, he, he, he needs that validation. He cannot acknowledge that he lost because it, it just, you know, it, 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 it takes, it takes everything away. He believes his entire being is, is, is caught up in the idea that he's the guy that doesn't lose. I mean, if you're a loser, nobody's going to follow you. That's what he says. If you're, can't be a loser. Right. And so he'll, yeah, he'll deny this thing until, until yeah. forever. He'll deny it to its grave. You, you, you know, the, what, what, one of the books he wrote that he never, that he, that, that he never talks about is the art of the comeback. Uh, and I think he had, I think he had to yes. be talking to, I, I have a, to, I, I, I have a copy. I actually have read it for my reporting. I mean, uh, cause he, he doesn't like to acknowledge that one because that means that you needed to come back. But, uh, but legitimately right now he's engaged in the, in what would be shockingly and horribly, I think the biggest comeback in American political history. He's, he, he, had, he had the greatest upset win in history in 2016. His command of the Republican party right now, if he captures that nomination, it is, it is, it is the greatest comeback that by far that we've ever seen. I think, I think it makes him very hard to beat in a lot of ways because Americans love the drama. They love the spectacle. And that is really his, his, like uh, his, his power position is, is giving them spectacle. So how do you think that how do you think that Trump right now um, looks at the legal peril that he's in uh, across the board? Because I'm always fascinated by I, I have a personal opinion. I don't think Trump ever goes to jail for a single day, even if he gets convicted. How do you think he looks at all the legal chaos right now? I, I agree with you. It's hard for me to ever imagine that he ever actually sits in a jail cell. He may well be convicted. He may be convicted on, on in, in, in multiple cases. Uh, but it's hard for me to imagine. I mean, first of all, where do you put the Secret Service agent? You know, do we put him in the cell or do we put him outside the cell? Yeah, we, I, I, yeah, he's a protect. <laughs> he's a protectee for yeah, life. Yeah. Um, I do think that uh, that the case that obsesses him and worries him more than any of the criminal cases is the case against his company, the civil case, because that will cost him money and it could force him to sell mm-hmm. his, you know, his prize, his prize New York properties. I, I think that's right. That's something that I've been hearing too, is that, you know, if he had to sell Trump tower, but for any reason, that's a, an apocalyptic moment. Well, listen, Jonathan, Carl, I want to thank you so much for joining us today on the enemies list. The book folks is tired of winning Donald Trump in the end of the grand old party. Jonathan is uh, a, a, a terrific reporter and I think you will deeply enjoy the book. Jonathan, thanks again for coming on the enemies list. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. God damn it. Elon, you know, you have at your fingertips, and I've I've done this rant before, folks. I've been angry at this guy. I put him on the enemies list before, but honest to God, do you have to, to to libel the Jews the way you do? Because let's be real, you are pushing the dumbest, most corrosive, vicious anti-Semitic trope that's out there right now, and it's fundamentally wrong. 
even if you're just thinking of this as a business proposition, why are you burning your brand to the ground? If you're that much of an asshole that you have no restraint, shut yourself off the platform. It's unbelievable how corrosive and terrible this is. And and for you, Linda Yaccarino, you either have to quit like now or prepare to have your reputation for the rest of your life in shambles. I hope you got the money up front because this is a bad deal for you at this point and you're embarrassing yourself uh, and the legacy of the other folks you've worked with over the years. Elon is unfortunately the gift that keeps on giving for the enemies list. So that's it. Thanks again for listening to the enemies list. If you have any comments, questions, or if there's someone you'd like to hear on the podcast, hit me up on Twitter at the Rick Wilson. Thanks again for the wonderful support you've shown the pod. We're growing fast. It really helps if you will share this with your friends, your family, and anyone else who, like us, is trying to save democracy. While you're at it, if you could rate and review the podcast, I would be very much appreciative. I know this is the sort of thing you've heard a billion times. Please rate, review, like, blah, blah, blah. But you need to do it. It really does help us a lot. We are slaves to the algorithm, my friends. And if you do this, it will help get the pod out further. Anyway, thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. And remember, whatever you do, stay off the list.